Good morning once again. Tell ya, um, we were up and uh, we attended church at, um, well, one of my brothers-in-law is a preacher as well, and we attended at uh, the church where he and Kathy's youngest sister uh, minister, and uh, it's a big, beautiful church, got all kinds of neat stuff, modern building, all kinds of everything, and where the funeral was at her late sister's church also. Big, beautiful building, neat stuff, very modern. There was only one thing, one thing I saw at either of those churches made me a little bit jealous. And that was that their speakers had a face microphone that would stay on. I fight with this thing every week, and it's because I've got these malformed ears. I can't even wear the cool headsets that those guys had. I'll bet you they could have done like cartwheels, and those things would have stayed on their faces. And uh, You know, when you're a preacher, you're sitting there going, oh, that's a neat headset. I'll bet that works pretty good. Uh, um, I am... Uh, for the last few weeks, but especially this morning, I've been having a little bit of vertigo. And uh, this morning I took a header back there. And um, everything right now is just a couple degrees off. So I'm going to be pretty glued to the pulpit because I don't want to fall down up here, okay? Uh, so if I seem pretty boring this morning just standing still, that's just only slightly different than me being boring walking around. There's very little worse in this life than being betrayed by a friend. Unfortunately, most of us have probably had to experience that to one degree or another. There is a sacred relationship between friends that is expected to be honored. One that doesn't exist with enemies or even with mere strangers. If you were to invite a stranger into your home and they were to betray that trust and rob you, well, you would certainly feel affronted by that. That would You would be like, well, that wasn't a nice way to repay my kindness. They certainly would be guilty of wronging you. You would, however, kind of chalk a certain amount of it up to the fact that you had put your trust into someone you didn't really know. You might even be shaking your head at your own behavior, saying, I should have known better than to trust somebody that I didn't know. Incidentally, last Sunday, we were driving from uh, my sister-in-law's house to their church, and uh, there was a car broken down on the side of the road. Uh, and as uh, as we drove past it, you know, we're not we're not from there. We used to live in Lansing, but we're not really super familiar with that area. I looked, and there was a pretty rough-looking dude uh, in that car. And we got there, and a few minutes later, my sister-in-law called me and said, hey, tell Walter, her husband, who's the preacher, tell him we're going to be late. There's a guy broken down here, and he's out of gas, and I'm stopping to help him. And I said, okay. And I told my wife what was going on. She said, you go back there. So uh, I did, because she's just a really, really trusting person, and uh, 
she she would she would be absolutely dumbfounded if if someone who she was trying to help did something not nice in response but it happens a stranger you might you might be uh not terribly surprised if they did turn on you you might even expect that type of behavior from an enemy. You wouldn't turn your back on them for a second, and you would be ready for that sudden but inevitable betrayal. They are your enemy, after all. But if your friend betrays you, it's specifically poisonous, because you should have been able to trust them and have them look out for your best interest. In the Old Testament, this was called Pesha, which means to break trust. It's a level of treachery. When you should be able to trust a person and they violate the faith that you have put in them as your friend or your neighbor. In the New Testament, it's translated in the Greek as paraptoma, which is usually translated as transgression. Usually, for most people, and I understand there are exceptions out there, I've known people that this is an exception to, or that this would not apply to, but usually, the trust of a brother or a sister is to be counted upon even more than that of a friend. Friends are sometimes transient. They come into our life for a season, and unfortunately, they often exit our lives as easily as they came in. You or they can move or change jobs, have a falling out, or simply drift apart. Most of us have people that we call friends, whom we have good feelings about, but whom we don't really know any longer. I mean, I I caught up with some people like I said, at the funeral, who I would consider my friends, but I haven't seen them in 20 or 25 years. So it's like the title friend is there, but I don't really know them anymore. That season came and went. You don't hold any ill will toward each other, but you could hardly consider that you would be able to count on them in a tight spot. You wouldn't call up the person you haven't seen in 20 years and say, hey, I'm in a hard place. I need your help. I need you to come down here and help me out. Probably not. A brother or sister, however, is is more often than not a much tighter bond. When the going gets hard, you know that you could count on them to have your back. And then they could say the same about you. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, or follow it along on the screen above. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This literally says, if you translated it just really literally, it says, a man of friends is to be shattered. The RSV translates that as, there are friends who pretend to be friends. There are people who we call friends 
who will be to our undoing if we aren't careful. King Zedekiah in the Old Testament was warned by the prophet Jeremiah. He was told that if he didn't do what God said, he would live to see his wives being taken captive by the Babylonians as they were led away, and that they would be saying to him in Jeremiah 38, verse 22, the second half there, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. The foolish king didn't listen to the prophet. And he saw this come to pass when his so-called friends betrayed him. Another way in which Proverbs 18.24 could be, is, is interpreted by some is that when someone has a lot of friends, it costs them a lot because your friends have expectations and wants from you. Thus, when it says a man of friends is to be shattered, it's talking about having to give of yourself in many directions to many people, time, effort, money, emotional support. It goes on. These are the type of friends who are with you when things are going well, but will turn and attack you when it isn't in their best interest to be on your side. When I was a kid, up through uh, about eighth grade, I wasn't very popular at all. Not in the slightest, really. I was on the small side. I had to switch schools in fifth grade. I didn't know things that a lot of the other kids knew, like sports. But I was a nice kid. And I was a decent person to spend time with. There was another boy, Tommy, who lived a block away and our mothers were friends. We used to play when we were little. And then we sometimes hung out together in up through like fifth and sixth grade. We had fun. We had a good time together. We were friends. That pretty well stopped in junior high. We just no longer hung out. He did things that I wasn't doing. I was doing things he wasn't doing. One day, I was walking home from school. And yes, I, I, I lived just under a mile and a half from our school. And if you lived over a mile and a half, you got the bus. So I walked to school in the snow uphill both ways. I was walking home from school one day. And it's a long ways. Actually, it's downhill on the way home. And one of the bully kids, bigger, mean, not all that bright, at least in my opinion, he was behind me a little ways, and he started taunting me, yelling things at me, following me, saying he was going to you know, mess me up or whatnot. And there was two or three other kids with him. And they were saying things and yelling at me and just kind of making life miserable for me on this on this way home. Then things started to get serious. They started catching up a little bit. They would start chucking rocks and stuff at me. Not hitting me, but 
making it known what they were doing. And they were starting to say, we're going to come and beat you up. I walked faster. They walked faster. Then, as I was starting to get a little bit nervous, I saw Tommy. I saw Tommy come riding up on his bike. I breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief. Tommy was pretty tough. He was bigger than I was. He'd always been a pretty tough kid. If he spoke up for me, they would almost certainly leave me alone. But to my dismay, Tommy went over and joined in with them on their side. Now, at this point, I was a good probably 20 yards ahead of them, and I knew that if I had to, I could always just run. I was pretty fast, and I could just run. But Tommy, he was on a bike, and he took up with them on their side. The taunts became increasingly threatening. I began to walk faster and faster, and they matched my pace. Eventually, in my mind, I was calculating the distance to a, a business that I knew and the people there knew me and I could maybe run and make it to there and I'd be safe. I knew if I just took off into a run, I could probably make it. So I did. I broke into a run. I took off as fast as I could go. Tommy took off after me on his bike. Tommy swung wide. He went clear to the far side of the street and he came angling back at me. Full tilt, coming right at me. And I realized as I'm running, he plans to ram me with his bike. My friend. So at the very last split second, just as he's about to ram into me, I came to a dead stop. He went right in front of me, smashed his uh, front wheel in the curb, flipped over the handlebars, and ate concrete. And justice was served that day. They stopped to check on Tommy and his bleeding face while I sprinted off to safety. While I was indeed deeply pleased with how that event transpired in the end, in fact, I was laughing as I ran away, I could not believe that a kid I had never wronged in my life, indeed, Someone who used to be at my house, who had eaten dinner with me, played in my yard, and me at his house the same, had joined friends with my tormentors and sided against me. It hurt. Not as bad as his face probably did, but still. There are many psalms dedicated largely to this feeling. King David was betrayed several times by many people. And yes, I know, he was—he had betrayed a couple of people himself. On more than one occasion, he found himself pursued by King Saul, whom he had faithfully served. His own son Absalom betrayed him and tried to kill him and take the kingdom for himself. And here in Psalm 41, David finds himself 
on a sickbed, possibly dying. And his foes, some of his so-called friends also, gathered around to speak ill of him and hope that he didn't live to recover. Let's read just a little portion of this. Psalm 41, verses 7 through 10. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Imagine that you are possibly going to die and those who have called you friend are conspiring against you, hoping that you kick the bucket soon so that they may benefit from you not being around any longer. That they take the side of your enemies in hoping maybe, maybe even working towards your death, working against you. If this sounds biblically familiar to you, it's because you've heard a sermon or two about the last days of Jesus' life and what happens to Him there. At the Last Supper, there's this odd moment recorded in the book of Mark where Jesus has made it clear to His followers that not only is He going to die as He's told them several times already, but that He will be betrayed by one of His closest friends. It's a bit odd in how it's worded there. In Mark chapter 14, verses 19-21, through 21, they began to be sorrowful and to say to Him, one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would, be, it would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. He really isn't trying to be vague or dramatic. He's told them that one of them will be the traitor. And when they ask him which one, he says, the one who's dipping bread with me. Dipping in the dish. Now I've seen movie portrayals of this in which Jesus is saying this. They say, well, which one of us is it? And he says, it's the one dipping his hand in the dish with me. And the camera pulls out and there's Judas with his eyes huge, with his hand down in the dish with Jesus going, oh, crud, it's me. Which, if it had been like that, they probably all would have just jumped Judas right then and there, taking him out back to the woodshed. But Jesus was being a little bit allegorical. The way that John recorded is a bit less dramatic, not to mention awkward if you were Judas. And it makes it clear that Jesus, as he usually does, is quoting Scripture to make his point. John chapter 13, verse 18. 
I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's quoting that passage from Psalm 41. What Jesus was telling them was that the betrayal would be from someone who was so close to him, it was like family. That he had broken bread with him. And that that was something David had spoken about long ago when he cried out to God about his friends who were betraying him. Almost everything and almost everyone in your life in the wrong circumstances will betray you like a bad country song. It is the rare person who will be there through everything and anything that could come your way. Friends are often unreliable. Nothing is certain in this life. But here is something that has come to my mind as I have laid on my bed at 3 a.m. while the knots in my stomach stole sleep from my mind. Uncertainty is where God shines through the best. Who is the friend who sticks closer than a brother? Why, it's God Himself, of course. He will never, ever betray. He will never leave you when you need Him the most. He will be there for you always. In the most trying times of your life, He will be true to you as your best friend never could because He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Even though you and I weren't. We weren't like that. We were Judas. We were the ones who broke bread with Jesus and then broke faith with Him. We did it when we sinned against Him. When we knew the right thing and deliberately chose the wrong. We were Judas. But you know what? Jesus already knew what Judas was going to do and that he was going to be the one to betray him and Jesus washed his feet anyway. Imagine that. Not only does Jesus strip off his robe and wash the feet of the apostles who would run when the soldiers came, not only did he wash the feet of the apostle whom he knew would deny him three times. But he washed the feet of the apostle whom he knew was selling him out and betraying him to his death. He knew it. And yet he washed anyway. Because even in the worst of our sins and transgressions, paraptoma, He will never turn His back on us 
so long as we repent and turn back to Him. If Judas Iscariot, instead of just going off in woe and hanging himself, had repented and gone to Jesus while he hung on the cross and asked for forgiveness, he would have received it. John 15, 13 is a pretty famous verse. It's the one that talks about greater love has no man than this. But verses 14 and 15 are pretty awesome also. Especially when you put all three of them together. John 15, 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. We have all committed treason against God. That paraptoma, transgression. But Jesus laid down his life for us that we might be forgiven and brought back into the trust of Jesus as His friends. And to be His friend is to know His will and to carry it out to the best of our ability. Will we fail? Yes. So did Peter. So did all the other apostles. But what Jesus wants for us to do is to know His will. To do His will. And when we fail, bring that transgression back to Him and He promises He will always forgive us. He is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's pray. Done for us this forgiveness that we could never earn. Forgiveness that is offered freely. Forgiveness that just requires us to come back to You. Lord, help us remember this and help us to desire to be Your friend and to do Your will. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have not accepted the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, then you're still Judas. You're still in that situation. And there are two choices. You can stay Judas and go off in your self-pity and mourning, but never repenting. Or you can be Peter and repent of those sins and come back to God and ask Him for that forgiveness. If you've never done that in your life, I invite you today to give those sins to Jesus Christ. Be buried with Him in Christian baptism and raise a new creation. Be forgiven of all of those transgressions. Please stand as we sing.